The segments in this week's episode of Motos and Friends neatly juxtapose a couple of motorcycle offerings from a few years gone by, yet these bikes are still exciting and very relevant today. I am Arthur Coldwells. In the first part of this episode, editor Don Williams and I compare notes on Yamaha's mighty TW200. This small dual sport machine, on the face of it, has little going for it on paper, yet its brilliant recipe actually creates a truly fun machine that works so well everywhere. Sometimes you just want to rip around on a small bike and see what happens. The little Yamaha delivers way more than I suppose any of us would have expected. In the second segment, I chat with Ultimate Motorcycling contributor Mark Rittner, one of my best friends. Mark decided at age 60 to try his hand at racing, and he won a hotly contested class championship his first year out. He serialized his exploits in the magazine. He also developed an aging Aprilia Mille and managed to break the 200 miles per hour barrier with it, and that story appears on our website too. Anyway, Mark is a creative engineer and mechanic, and he is very good at taking lots of different parts that he sourced from eBay and putting them all together into one machine that works extremely well. The whole is greater than the sum of all the parts. Whether you're on a budget or not, Mark is well worth listening to. I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, well, Don, thanks for joining me. Um, and we're going to be talking about the Yamaha TW200. Um, I know you've got some thoughts on that because the bike's been around since 1987. So what was, what was your take on it? Right. I mean, not only did it start in 1987, but its predecessors, the BW200 and BW350, actually date back to the early 80s. But actually, I was riding the TW200 today. And uh, one thing I noticed, uh, I was tooling down the freeway at about 55 miles an hour on the slow lane. And uh, the speedometer is exactly the same as it was on my 1985 Yamaha XT350 dual sport bike. So that speedometer has been around for 45 years. <laughs> and, and next year will be the 45th anniversary of the TW200, which it's just mind boggling to think that a motorcycle could stay out there and not change in 45 years. Well, actually, I shouldn't say it hasn't changed. 2001 was the big revolution for the uh, TW200. Uh, it was an electric start from the beginning, but it had a backup Kickstarter. In 2001, they decided you don't need the Kickstarter. So they took the Kickstarter off <laughs> uh, the front drum with a front disc, and the uh, slide carburetor got replaced by a a CV carb, and that's probably was like an emissions deal. But other than those three changes, it's the same motorcycle as, as 44 years ago. So it's it's a, a vintage motorcycle that you can still buy unchanged. I mean, just think about how amazing that is. That that is that is amazing. But I mean, that's weird because it doesn't look old. I mean, it doesn't look old school. I mean, I. I grew up riding bikes in the 70s and the 80s, and the TW200, well, I, I suppose it does a bit, but not really. I mean, to me, I didn't look at it and think, oh, there's an old bike, or there's a classic-looking bike. You know, not in the same way as when you look at, like, you know, the modern Triumphs, 
you know, the Bonneville series and all that kind of stuff. You're like, okay, that's a retro bike. This doesn't look like a retro bike to me. It looks like a modern bike. Well, part of it is because it's so unusual looking. You know, it's got the big fat tires. You know, that, you don't see true. very many motorcycles with a 14-inch rear tire and an 18-inch front. And and sort of, I mean, what what pegs it as an old bike is when you actually kind of look a little bit closer. You know, you have a two-valve air-cooled motor with a carburetor. You know, you see the petcock there. And I'll tell you, I have that petcock my hand ready to reach down to that petcock in case that bike runs out of gas on the freeway because that's i've had that happen before and you want to be able to reach down there without thinking and spin that thing around 180 degrees to make sure that you don't come to a putting stop uh with uh, a bunch of trucks bearing down on you as there were when i was on uh, interstate five today <laughs> so and 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 you know it it'll go it'll cruise at 55 maybe 60 without any issues on the freeway if you want to go 65 it sounds like you, you wouldn't want to do that all day to that motor no uh, it might fast no. it's certainly possible you can run at 65 all day but you you kind of tend to think maybe that's not a good idea and there's no tachometer and there is like a little red square at 55 miles over 55 miles an hour now that may be a throwback believe it or not to the 55 hour speed limit days where they used to have that little that little square on on speedometers and cars and everything that said don't go over 55 because you're saving gas so it may just be left over from that or i was thinking maybe it was like don't rev it more than this just settle down so i kind of kept it 55 60 but it was perfectly stable on the freeway and i had again giant semis going blowing by me at 65 or 70 and, you know, I wasn't, I, I only felt vulnerable because I couldn't accelerate. But as far as the bike's stability on the freeway, it, it didn't wander in the wing grooves with those big fat tires and rain grooves. It just laughs at those. And so, uh, you know, kind of looking at the TW as a street bike, even though it has, you know, pure dirt bike roots, it's a really fun street bike. Uh, you know, you can ride it around town. Yeah, you got to definitely rev it when you're coming up from a, starting up from a red, a red light if you want to stay in front of everybody but once you get up to second gear i mean everybody's behind you you know it's it's got enough power to hold its own on city streets it's only only out on a highway where you start to notice that yeah this is a 200 cc motor and and a, a an old one at that right but your, your experience on it was more of a, a this the traditional camping experience which is really one of the the biggest uses of the tw200 yeah it was yeah i mean i absolutely loved it i, I was really impressed i mean you know we also had uh, a kawasaki klx 230 with us and the suspension on that that's much more of a sort of conventional you know trail bike so it has you know longer travel suspension than the tw but but the yamaha um Obviously, as you've pointed out, the, those big fat tires are part of the suspension. So it can sort of get away with having this relatively short travel, almost not quite street, but close to street style suspension. And yet because of the tires, it goes over anything. I mean, it, it wouldn't do really technical trails, but the sort of trail riding that I was doing, it was really great. It just sort of handled it all. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was great on the street. I found it actually handled quite well. 
because the suspension is not super soft, long travel, off-road suspension. It's definitely a compromise. Um, but like you say, I mean, for me, as a sort of a camping thing, you know, we're out in the middle of the forest and what have you, and we just jump on this bike and roar down a fire road. And, you know, you come to a main road and you want to go down to the shops or, you know, go see the sites. It was real easy. It just did both really well. And, uh, yeah. And was, for somebody who's not a natural dirt bike rider like I am, because I've been riding dirt bikes for over 50 years now, right. you know, as the, the lo relatively low 31 inch seat height. So unless you're, you know, pretty short, you can handle that. And with the weight, you know, with gas tank uh, filled, it's only 1.8 gallons. But of course, 1.8 gallons will probably get you 200 miles on that thing. <laughs> but uh, it is definitely it a stiff, though, yeah. Yeah, it only weighs 279 pounds. So those two things, the low seat height, the relatively low weight, especially for a street bike, and the big fat tires that, that, that really slow the handling down to make it just easy to ride, makes it, it's truly one of the great novice motorcycles made. I would agree with that, definitely. It was super easy to ride. I mean, uh, it only has five gears, but you know the clutch is light everything on it is is easy but you know the brakes had some feel to them i mean they're not the best brakes out there but you know as you as you've pointed out in the past nothing about this bike is sort of outstanding or particularly good but the sum of the whole is is much more than than just the parts oh yeah many many years ago i, I tested this bike for dirt bike magazine and uh I was riding it around and, and it, it, as I wrote the story, I said, this motorcycle has terrible handling. It has awful suspension. It has no power. Yeah, but you put that all together and you actually have a really good motorcycle. It actually, the balance of everything is the magic of what makes it work. You, you can't ride it fast. If you're gonna try to ride it over fast in rough terrain quickly, you are going to regret it very fast. But if you just want to tool your way down the trail or, uh, and it can be a fairly technical trail because again, you have that stability of, the, of those fat tires. Right. You can get pretty much anywhere if you're patient. If you're yeah. in a hurry, you could be on a different motorcycle. But if you're patient, uh, it's geared low enough, it gets enough traction, the motor is tractable enough that it can go pretty much anywhere. And you can handle it because of the low seat height and the relatively low weight. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. It was, it's sort of, you know, it's kind of like the, you know, it's like an old, sky, old style, you know, Jeep or Land Rover or, you know, one of those kind of things. It's, there's, there's nothing particularly outstanding about it, but it, it, it will go just about anywhere. And, you know, that single cylinder, single cylinder motor produces so much torque low down that it's you've got to really try hard to even stall it. So you can just sort of put it in, I don't know, whatever, you know, third gear or second or third gear and just bumble along the trail and it does it really well. Um, I mean, I found, and it's not that slow. I mean, I was doing probably 20, 25 miles an hour along the, you know, these fire roads. And, you know, there was one trail that we, we rode up in uh, uh, Moab and it was great. And, and, you know, 25 miles an hour, 20, 25 miles an hour is not going very fast off road. And, and all the guys with their, 
you know, the big CRFs and, and YZs and what have you would laugh at that. But it was plenty fast enough for us. We're not off-road people. And we had a great time. And, you know, TJ is, is as a lady, you know, is doesn't have this giant inseam. There's no way she could get on a conventional dirt bike um, and, you know, do justice to that. Neither of us have really ridden off-road. So this thing was perfect for us. It was great. And when we got to right. the when we got to the street, it was just as good. Well, there's there's two kinds of off road, I think, and and you guys rode on road for the most part. It wasn't paved, but it was still a road. And so, when it's a smooth dirt road, yeah, you can go probably forty or fifty. You know, you can go as long as it's smooth. Well, it, bike... it wasn't it wasn't that smooth. I mean, it was quite rocky, and oh, okay. you know, there was a lot of stuff. And then we came across a a whole section that was very sandy, and I had to figure out how to ride in sand very quickly. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so it, it wasn't, it wasn't like a really a fire road. It was definitely a trail. Okay. Well, the, yeah, I mean, the bike is actually a, a great sand bike because of the fat wide tires. Right. Uh, it's, it's very much like an ATV with two wheels. You know, those yes. are, those are be yes. like or the motorcycle style wheels. Right. right. In fact, I, I was poking around on the internet and I saw some guy, he had done some sort of, uh, he wanted to make the ultimate off-road TW200, and it used the big, thick, heavy uh, ATV tires on it. And that <laughs> thing could go through, you know, mud bogs. They're like kind of mud tires, so you go through mud bogs and uphills. And I mean, they were big, gnarly tires. And pretty. <laughs> there's definitely a cult of TW200 owners, and any bike that's been around for 44 years is going to have that because a lot of the people that ride them have had them since 1987. The motorcycle <laughs> lasts that long with one guy just tooling around on it. Probably all he's ever done is change the oil, maybe put some gas in it once in a while. But other than that, you know, the tires are going to last a long time. Right. Uh, what, it's kind of interesting, you know, reading what the hardcore cult guys have to say about the bike and a lot, the, the general consensus is in 2001 that the, the CV carb was not as good as the slide carb. People were ha happy to get the front disc brake and the kickstart thing isn't an issue because you know if you have an electric start, you don't want to kick it. And the chances of you killing the battery if you're paying any kind of attention is, is are pretty small. So, right. but they, they, they say the fast, the fast, if you're the hot rodder guy, you want a, a 2000 or earlier and if, if you're, you know, the rest, if the other ones, not, the difference obviously isn't that big. You're still looking at a 200cc, you know, four-stroke, two-valve, air-cooled, carbureted bike. But it's funny how they, oh, this is the other one, that the actually very first year, the 1987 model, right. had a different chart. And it had fewer magnets. It had, it, had a, it had a different what? Sorry, you cut out then. It had a different what? Sorry. The, the 1987 edition, the very first year, and only for the first year, had a different charging system, and it had fewer magnets around the ignition setup. Oh, wow. And theory is, is that it had less uh, drag, and you have a little motor like that, anything matters. And because it had the fewer magnets, it didn't charge well enough, and so they ended up having to put more magnets in. But the, the 87s, the general consensus is that's the fastest model of the TW200 because it was the old slide carb and it had 
the lightweight charging system that didn't drag the bike down as it was trying to charge up to keep the battery and the lights on and everything else and the ignition running. It's pretty funny how people are into that, but that's, you know, and some people are like, yeah, I'm going to take, you know, a couple magnets off my ignition because I can get a little more power that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's awesome. I got to tell you, it was just a mega fun little bike. What's the, uh, what's the price on it? I mean, it's got to be, presumably it's not 1987 pricing anymore. No, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't look at the price. I'm probably having to say 45.99 or 47.99. It's below 5,000 still. So you know, for, 45.99. You're right. Yeah, it's in it's in our story. 40, yeah, 45.99. Yeah. So you know, that's a pretty affordable motorcycle. And yeah, I mean, there are certainly things you can't do. You're not going to go traveling across country. You're not going to go sport touring. You know, you have to do things that pretty much keep you off the highway. You need to be on back roads. Uh, you know, if you live in the city, it's, I'm surprised I don't see more of them just going around town. Yeah. You know, if you live in a town LA, cause you could, yeah. the nice thing about that bike rather than a scooter, I mean, a scooter is great because it has this underseat storage and everything, but you're just getting around backpack. Let's say those big fat tires are a million times better hitting potholes and dips and yeah. all the other bad things of LA roads. Than the scooter wheel yeah you know you some of the scooter wheel and you you especially if it's a those you know 10 or 12 inch ones i mean this is you know i said as i said it's an 18 inch front uh 14 inch rear tire but it's a, it's it's a super fat tire it's not like just a 14 like low profile it, it's got the you know profile of a balloon so it you know yeah, it's exactly. on, and you're right and you're not gonna I mean, if you if you dent that rim, you have done something catastrophic. <laughs> I don't even know how. I don't think it's possible to dent the rim, you know. In the pot. So you know, it, it's just it's an amazing thing. Uh, it, like I said, I'm surprised you don't see more of them. The price that it is and the capability that it has. Yeah. Uh, the only down part it would be is that is is the carburetor, because if it's not warm, it takes a long time to warm the bike up. You got to pull the choke and, and a lot of new hipster guys might not know what a choke is, but uh, you have to pull the choke and let it run for a while to, to get up to operating temperature, especially if it's cold. And then, uh, then you can, then it's fine. You don't really notice that it's not electric. I mean, it's, it's not EFI, yeah. but it would be better. That, that, that would be a better motor if it was fuel injected. It would get even better miles per gallon. And uh, <laughs> yeah. so, it's 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 and it would definitely be a cool knock around urban bike uh you know and it's got the power for it is on the street from zero to 35 you're good you know you're not you don't yeah. have to worry about even you know yeah in that, in, that, in that sort of in that sort of class of motorcycle you're looking at you know honda groms and you know and and uh and those kind of things um this is more of a sort of a full size bike. Um, and if you're looking at, you know, maybe a scooter, if you're a, if I was a student and, you know, in San Francisco, I would want one of these things totally. I mean, those awful San Francisco roads and this thing would be awesome. Climbs too. And yeah. it reminds me that the off road, the, uh, the TW 200 and oh, by the way, the TW stands for trailway. That's what they originally called it, the trail, uh -huh. you know. I mean, it was always a TW, 
200, but it was, it even said it on the tank, Trailway 200. And uh, so it's, it's really marketed. It's not marketed to the street crowd, which is, which is too bad because I think that they could, not that they don't sell a lot because they sell them all every year, but right. they could sell even more. But it, the bike is one of these super surprising hill climbers because yeah. you look at a hill and you think, this motor, this bike, am I have any chance to make it to the top? But then when you start going, that you just roll on the throttle and you're like, pup, 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 pup. no wheel spin because of that fat rear tire. You're not, uh, you know, you're just always getting traction. So it's just always chugging along. Right. And in the front, the big fat front tire stops you from getting caught in the small ruts and things. So it's easy to like aim your way up the hill. And even if it's a sand hill, those big fat tires, like an ATV, those are the ultimate dune machines. The uh, TW200 gets on top of the sand and just chugs right through and doesn't bury you in the sand as uh, if you were on a normal dirt bike with the narrow tires, like on, say, the KLX230 that you had. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, just the, just the sort of the, you know, low horsepower, but plenty of torque. Is a is a great recipe. I mean, the, the thing just chugs around everywhere, and you, right. and like you say, it's well balanced. It handles well, so you can sort of spin up the rear if you want to in the dirt a bit, and you know, and just give it some gas. It's all at slow speed, but it's fun. I mean, the thing is just crazy fun. I absolutely loved it. Loved the thing. Yeah, and and even in the canyons, you have to get between if you're using it as a trail bike and you're going from one trail to another trail that requires riding on pavement. It has pretty good pavement manners uh, again the firm suspension helps yeah. it a bit and when i say firm it's firm and it's also prehistoric i mean that <laughs> suspension was designed in 1987 and they have not upgraded it with anything you know obviously it's not adjustable uh, there's probably spring preload in the rear so in case you throw a passenger on but you know that that is stone age suspension you know in fact you might look back maybe fred flintstone was the guy who designed this <laughs> So that you, but, you don't think you don't think they've done anything to the internals at all? No, really, I don't think so. Yeah. They could just keep stamping them out. And so you ride it though; it's firm, but but that's made up by the, the soft tires. So that kind of gives you this big footprint, giant. It's the big foot of of street bikes because it's got <laughs> this big monster of of rubber. And yeah, there's a lot of grooves in it for dirt. But there's still the, the contact patch, if you add it up, just must be gigantic. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have to worry about the front end pushing or losing the rear end because you gave it too much power coming out of a corner too either. The engine isn't good. The engine doesn't overtax it. The speeds don't overtax it. So it's a super easy bike to ride in the canyons, you know. So if you're doing it up in the mountains to go, like I said, from one trail to another, that's great. Or even if you're in somewhere like, a city like Los Angeles uh, on Mulholland Drive, you know, in the Hollywood Hills, that right. thing's a black. Go flying around, you dive into the corner, you 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 immediately trust the bike because there's not enough power to get you in trouble, and there's enough traction to to let you do whatever you want. And uh, that's that's you know you can't ask for more than that, and that's especially appealing to a a new rider. I think you know they they would the only bad part about a new rider is they might develop little odd habits and not when they first if if you went from a tw200 let's say to a, a cb300 honda uh street bike you might all of a sudden those that front wheel so, so narrow <laughs> you know? 
like, wow, that, it feels kind of shaky and stuff compared to, you know, this big blah, 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 you know, tractor thing that you were driving. You know, it's like <laughs> when, you're, when you're in a tractor, you don't go, the front end was pushing. It's like, no, there's no pushing. So you'd have to learn, you know, different levels of adhesion relative to the amount of performance out there. But uh, while you have it, you're going to be like, wow, motorcycle riding is really fun and easy. This is great. You know, yeah. it's, it's great entry. I, I remember teaching my dad and I trying to teach my mom how to ride a dirt bike uh, in the early seventies. And it was a two stroke 90 and it wasn't, you know, high performance, but it was a two stroke 90. And uh, she immediately whiskey throttled out and crashed in about 50 feet. And that was the end of her career. And she started crying and my dad was like, okay, that's it. But if <laughs> we had something like this for her to ride, it might've been a different story. You know, it's like, she could have whiskey throttled it and it wouldn't have like, zapped ahead like a two-stroke well it would just go and then she would have time to think about it oh yeah maybe i should let the gas off a little and it's it's i could every time i see things like this oh man that would have been great for my mom you know and and i don't want to i don't want to hex the tw200 as if i could after 44 years as a mom's bike but it really is a mom's bike and it's a sister's bike and it's a little brother's bike and it's somebody it's, it's just anybody that hasn't ridden before you can put them on this and you can teach them how to ride. And you could, and what I always say, people, the best place to ride, learn to ride a motorcycle is in the dirt because you can fall and it's no big deal. Get up, continue on your way. Whereas if you fall on the street, that to me is a big deal. And falling on the dirt is no big deal. So right. you can teach a new person to ride. They're, they'd have to learn to ride in the dirt where the bike's moving around a bit. Even, even with the big fat tires, the TW does move, you know, in the, in the dirt and the sand. And then when they go to the street, they're like, wow, this is really easy. I just, there's none of that funny movement. And this bike is super easy to ride. And I got to learn to ride in the place where there's no traffic and no people. And, and yeah. if I fall, it's no big deal. And now I'm on the street and it's like, wow, I, I have all this confidence going in. So yeah. it's, it, it's, it's too bad there's not more people don't take that path to motorcycle riding. It's kind of, it's kind of like the, the perfect way to go for uh, a new rider. Yeah, I agree. But I was also struck, I mean, as you know, I mean, I've been riding motorcycles as long as you have, you know, whatever it is, 40, 50 years. And, but I've all my experiences on the street, but I'm used to riding, you know, liter super bikes. And so you would think that, you know, show me the TW200, I'm going to turn my nose up at it and go, I'm not gonna ride that freaking thing, you know, small, you know, crappy little bike. But you know what, I didn't feel like that at all. I, I just had an absolute blast on it, um, you know, and, and I mean, obviously you have to sort of manage your expectations. No, you're not going to have this giant hit of power, but you can still have a lot of fun with it. And I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed riding it on the street and I enjoyed riding it on the trail. We had a, yeah. we had a great, if I, had, if, I if I had handed a, a Honda Sierra 450 RL to you, you would have come back and said, I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it would have been too tall, too heavy, even though it's just a little bit heavier, but it had, would have too much power, not enough traction, relatively speaking. Yes. And you would have been like, uh, yeah, I was able to ride it, but boy, this is a, a handful. It's a lot of work. Whereas the TW200 is no work. There's no work involved. It's just all fun. <laughs> and that, that's when you're on vacation or you're around town, or you're new, that's what you want. You want all fun. You don't want any of the bad things. Yes, exactly. And, and the other thing is, is, and I know you're going to disapprove of this because you're, you're an at-gat guy, but, but, um, you know, we found ourselves as 
as campers, a lot of times you just sort of jump on the bike and you buzz down the trailer bit and you're not wearing full gear. You know, we always wear helmets, always, 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 100%. So we're always going to wear a helmet. But tell you the truth, a lot of the time, we're not going to start putting on lots of jackets and heavy boots and all that kind of stuff. You know, so, you know, we've got lightweight, lightweight boots. We always have a bit of ankle protection, but, you know, just sort of lightweight boots and jeans. And it was really hot when we were riding in Moab. There was no way I could put any kind of jacket on. I'm like, I'll, I'll pass out if I if I do that. But riding, you know, a little bike like the TW200, I didn't feel like I was risking anything too much. I'm like, you know what, if the worst comes to worst, I'm going to be doing what, 20 miles an hour? Heck, you know, if the worst comes to worst, I'll jump off. You know, <laughs> as long as I'm wearing a helmet. And so <clears throat> you don't, it's not, it's not this intimidating thing where you've got to put all your gear on and, well, you know, I don't want to slide down the road and you know, end up in the hospital with a broken leg or a scraped up knee or something. You know, this thing was so unintimidating and so easy. It was just like, yeah, just jump on it and go for a ride. Make sure you're wearing a good helmet. But you know what? Go and have a ride and enjoy yourself. And yeah, I'll, I'll recommend you wear boots because, yes, uh, you know, especially on the dirt because you will fall. And and that engine is still what it is. And if your foot, your if your ankle is between that engine and the ground when you hit, you will be saying, "Man, Don was right about those boots." While you're sitting <laughs> in the room waiting for the x-ray the bad news from the x-ray yeah so no, you, you, no you're, up, you're absolutely right and we and we did wear boots we did yeah, wear boots. we weren't we weren't wearing big motocross you know dirt bike boots well yeah you don't have to i mean they, they make lightweight you know yeah. Yeah, I'm not a, you know you say that i'm all the gear all the time guy i'm i'm not i am a appropriate gear all the time okay you know, because I always say to somebody that says, oh, I'm all the gear all the time. I go, really? So if you're at your house and the gas station's a mile away, you get in a suit with an, a road racing suit with an airbag and a, a Corsair X Arai to go to the gas station, right? Because it's all the gear all the time, right? <laughs> right. And yeah. they, well, yeah. Like, right. It's like you, you manage, like you're talking about managed expectations, you manage the risk. And it's like, you know, if I happen to, if, you know, I'll slip on like the Alpine Stars boots their shoe their, the, the tennis shoe style riding shoes yeah it's like i might regret it but realistically i probably won't and, and that's you know but on the dirt i always as I always tell people who ride dirt i said i always say you're not likely to really hit your head you might hit your head but you're always your feet are always going to be hitting the ground hitting rocks your feet right. are the most vulnerable part off road right. and on, i think it's not the same way i think on the street you really need the helmet because you're going at higher speeds and you could hit your head yeah. dirt bike yes you hit your head but your feet are really taking a beating anybody just look at any dirt bike boots but anyway that's kind of beside the point but i, I just want to make sure that anybody that's listening that would ride a two tw200 in the in the dirt that they would make sure they were wearing appropriate foot protection because they they will need that <laughs> definitely <laughs> Never know definitely. and, and I, I'm, I'm not encouraging people to, to I, do that, I, but I, I'm just saying that that you know in in part of the appeal of the bike was the fact that it's it's small and light it was dead easy just to pull out of the toy hauler and just like oh you know let's just sort of nip off here or you know let's go explore that trail and wow you know here we are in the middle of this forest and let's go see where this trail leads and 
there were multiple times when we just went for a half an hour quick ride just following the trail around and and you don't you don't feel the inclination to fully gear up and it was way too hot so helmet and boots and jeans and and we were good jeans and t-shirts and, and it was all good and we actually gloves as well because you can sort of you know but but yeah i mean well, gloves, are just more, gloves to me are just more comfortable yeah yeah you know grab the the uh the grips it's just yeah. they feels better with gloves on than, than without so that's just kind of a comfort thing and yeah if you go sliding down the road you're gonna go oh yeah i wasn't wearing gloves that was a great idea yeah <laughs> <laughs> even at a low speed you know you don't want to you know your hands are fairly important so yeah but yeah so you did you guys ride it two up at all uh yes yes we did and and it was great and again it was <clears throat> that little motor again it's all it's all torque so it really doesn't affect the performance very much because there isn't that much performance so it's just as capable of taking sort of two people at a relatively slow pace i mean at the end of the day the thing is not going to accelerate very fast but it definitely can take two people no problem and a couple of times we did that and it was great that's totally cool yeah i mean i i one of the things i found that i liked about it off road was its, its ability to hill climb so that was you know hill climb uh technical trails are fine it just really is a magic little bike that i i would recommend to any highly experienced rider who's never ridden one to at least find a friend or find somebody who knows somebody or if you're out riding and you see somebody has one, just beg them to let you ride it and say, God, don't worry, I'm not going to jump it. I'm not going to do anything stupid. I, to, to just take it for a ride because it's it's one of those experiences in motorcycles that I don't think people should miss. I agree. I agree. Yeah, we absolutely, we loved it. It was it was perfect for what we did and, and where we were traveling and all the different places. It was awesome. It was perfect. All right. Okay. All right. Well, good stuff. All right. Well, uh, thanks a lot. Thanks for your insight. And uh, I guess I love, I love talking about the TW 200 because it really is a, a fun bike and it has fun owners and, and it, it just kind of encapsulates what's fun about motorcycle riding. It, yeah, I agree. Totally agree. All right. Well, uh, I'll uh, catch you later. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks, Don. Bye. So as mentioned at the top of the show, this second segment features my very good friend, Mark the Punisher Rittner. He's a crazy, in a good way, motorcycle maniac who knows how to build machines that work well and that don't cost a fortune. Hey Mark, thanks so much for, for coming on to Motos and Friends. What's, uh, what's going on with uh, all your various projects? Well, I got a new project now, um, helping Mark Miller, internationally recognized racer from the Isle of Man, from the Macau Grand Prix, AMA uh, pro superbike racer um, from the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, he's still active doing stuff, but he's, he, I knew him through Kerry Andrew, because Kerry Andrew, he right. raced on Kerry Andrew's hypercycle team back in the late 90s on like SRAD Suzuki's right. and things like that. Right, was he Nikki Hayden's teammate at that time? He was Jason uh, Pridmore's. Oh, Jason Pridmore's teammate, okay. Pridmore's teammate. Okay. 
right? I think rap was, Steve Rap was thrown in there somewhere at some point too, but okay. that was the, the gang of guys that were racing back then. Right. But um, I first met Mark in the Willow Springs garage at an ARMA event when Kerry had dragged him back for like a 20 year reunion, right? You know, 1997 to 2017. So Miller was there with his wife and I got to meet him, but you know, just kind of like, hi, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And, um, but we found out that we both owned Aprilia twins. So um, he raced an Aprilia twin at the Isle of Man, probably back in 2008 or nine. I'm not sure what. When you say the Aprilia twin, you mean the Aprilia Melee? It's a Melee. I, I'm not sure if he rode a Tuono or a Melee. You know, um, but yeah, basically the RSVR Melee Aprilia twin. But, uh, you know, so he had one of those. He made it a street bike. He liked it. He started upgrading it. He thought it was really neat. Uh, and then, uh, then he blew the motor up and some of those things had a problem, you know, with the 2007, eight, nine models. And he's all like, Oh, I don't know what to do if I should rebuild it or not. I said, just go buy a used motor. There's hundreds of them around. So he got one for 500 bucks out the Northern California. What sort of horsepower do they put out stock? I mean, just approximately. About 124 to 128. Okay. Yeah. It's not. It's not super staunch, but you know, it's, it's, it's okay. You know, it's a, it's a middle, middle of the road type of horsepower, you know, nothing to equal any force. Fast bike in its day. Yeah. In its day, it was okay. I mean, it was, you know, they, they make 120 something horsepower normal. Right. So his bike was stock except for a Acura Evo six titanium pipe and the Proya map that went with it. And he thinks it runs good. And I'm sure it, I'm sure it does, but uh, he blew up the motor and didn't know what to do. So I told him buy a used motor. I'll help you put it in. So he ran out and bought a used motor and he dragged it over to my garage and we started on a Saturday morning and by uh, early Sunday evening, you know, it would have been taken out, put back in and fired up. He was pretty tickled about that. But then he decided that he wanted to uh, race in a race that's kind of like Pike's Peak. It's kind of a Mexican Pike's Peak down in Baja. Okay. Um, it's coming up in October. And Carlin Dunn, the ex-champion from Pike's Peak, had run there couple of years ago before he um, got killed on the on the Pikes Peak course and uh, Miller was a friend of his apparently so he decided that he wanted to run the Baja race down there and he wanted to ride his Aprilia so uh, so now he's he's all gung-ho working on that project right now trying to get his bike sorted um, you know getting all the settings right, getting all the tires, testing the suspension and the brakes and getting all the pieces just the way he wants it because he's a very meticulous kind of racer. So he's right. He's getting all this stuff ready. But part of the thing was he didn't want to go there with a 15,000 mile used motor that we stuffed in on one weekend. So um, I said, oh, I'll build the motor for you. So um, we're collecting parts. Uh, took apart the one that he blew up. It was too trash to do anything with. You know, a few parts were salvageable, but that was it. Uh, so we're getting close to building the motor. Probably starting to starting to build this month. When you say when you say he blew up the motor, what did he actually do to it? The crank bearings, the crank and rod bearings. Okay. Once once those bearings go, they put a lot of metal trash through the motor. It just causes more problems. So the pistons were all scuffed up. The rod bearings were completely seized to the crank and gone. The main bearings were wrecked because of that. The case uh, thrust flanges were all uh, worn and grooved because of all the metal and the oil 
And so it was you know, a complete disaster as expected. I told him, I said, don't expect to reuse much. But, um, but I have a lot of spares and we salvaged the heads okay. and the barrels and uh, you know, got, some, got some components. It'd just be like a blueprinted motor. It's not going to be you know, super duper big bore ported cam valves, everything, but um, you know, a couple little tricks in there just to make it run good. Yeah, but like, like what? What little tricks? Well, um, stock bore, but going with slightly higher compression pistons. Okay. And he's kind of a stickler for lightweight. So um, we also have Carrillo rods for integrity. Um, the Generation 2 motor, which he has, the, the stock rods are pretty good. You can run them pretty hard, but if you want to make sure you can run them as hard as you want all day long and not have a problem, you spend the money on a nice set of of uh, forged steel Carrillo rods. Okay. So we got that. Um, some uh, titanium valves with uh, special coatings on them. Okay. And you know, that's that's about it, really. You know, that will just put it together nice and carefully, and make sure all the parts meet spec. You know, a little bit of uh, lubrication treatment on a few pieces, and okay, you know, should be good to go. Basically, Punisher light is what it is. I did on the supercharged bike. I'm doing a lot of the same type of stuff on this. So the melee is fuel injected, isn't it? Yes, it is. Started in 98. It was a fuel injected bike. The throttle bodies grew from 51 millimeters to 57 millimeters, um, you know, from Gen 1 to Gen 2. So the Gen 2 motors are a lot peppier than the first ones. First ones made about 115 horsepower. The second Gen ones from 2006 on up made about 125 plus. You know, bigger cams, bigger valves. They just went through a standard development cycle, right? As a manufacturer does to keep them fresh and interesting over a ten-year period. Right. Did you did you do anything to the fuel mapping, or I mean, did you like flash the ECU? Is there anything there? That well, well, the good news is since we're keeping it relatively stock, same size cam, same size valves, same size throttle body, same exhaust pipe, same size pistons. It's going to have a little bit more compression and. Uh, the map, what they call map two in Aprilia terms, a factory high performance map, works really well with that acropobic Evo 6 pipe. You know, he says it's carbureted perfectly. So there may be some adjustments to be made and we'll stick a power commander in there and make some minor adjustments as required, but nothing fancy. Okay. And who is likely to be the competition in this Mexican Pikes Peak? You know, they have a bunch of different classes. I'm just, I'm not sure if this is open superbike class or open twins class he's in. You know, I didn't I didn't really look at that part. That's not really my role, you know, to strategize okay. that. But um, it's it's an international competition. There's gonna be guys from uh, multiple countries coming to compete. And Mark wants to go out there and and uh, as always, you know, lay one down and bring home the trophy. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a pretty focused guy. I give him credit. He's a fast guy. He is. He's a very fast rider. I've ridden with him a couple of times. Um, and in fact, I think I even raced against him when uh, when he and Jason Pridmore in uh, in probably 97 yep. um, at, uh, at Las Vegas, I think, in the final round of the year in AMA. Uh, so you're asking about projects, though. So I yeah. got one project that... Uh, been completed for a few months here now but you or your listeners there's got to be a, a portion of your listening public that would find this something interesting so okay i bought a bmw a while back a 2005 or 1200 gs okay the big twin battle tank but um you know they're heavy they're slow 
and I made the mistake of going out on a Highway 33 ride with uh, Camming and the boys one time. I'm not sure if you were on that ride or not, but I, I flogged it pretty hard and it didn't survive. <laughs> the engine didn't survive. It dropped some valves and I was just on uh, Cielo de Noroeste, which they now call something Ranch Road. Hudson Ranch Road, yeah. Hudson Ranch Road. So on Hudson... The one leads to, to um, Fraser Park and all of that? Yeah, Pine Mountain. Right. Um, so yeah, as, as, as after I'd already flogged it on 33 to within an inch of his life, I'm thinking like, yeah, that worked pretty good. So now I'm just going along in a good clip and going up some little slight uphill and all of a sudden it gave like a little quick death rattle and boom, just locked up. I'm like, ah. Well, the good news was we were high in elevation and I could see a cell tower from where we stopped. Right. And I called AAA and they came and they dragged me 120 miles back to my house. <laughs> okay. So I got the thing home. So it sat for six months trying to figure out if I should just throw it in the trash or it was worth fixing. But uh, I started looking at the microfish on parts for these things because there's a bunch of different models and they had the history of BMWs as airheads, oil heads, hex heads, cam heads, and then the water-cooled ones. Well, the, the one that that bike was, the 2005, I think is a hex head. So, you know, nothing special, air-cooled, um, single cam with lifters and rocker arms. Okay. So in the evolution of BMWs from 2005 on forward, in 2010, they made a motor called a cam head which is basically a double overhead cam motor. So a little bit higher revving, more horsepower, more reliability, but mostly more horsepower. And um, <laughs> I started looking at that and I said, you know, BMW never changes anything. I said, they make this gr 1200 GS Adventure for 2010 through 12 with a cam head motor. What if that'll fit in there? I looked at the fish and I said, look at all the sensors on the motor. They're exactly the same. I looked at pictures, I said, the bikes are exactly the same. So I went and bought one of those motors on eBay, um, got it for 1200 bucks, had 20,000 miles on it, that and a whole bunch of parts to go with it, dragged it home, broke the bike down. And BMWs are funny because they don't have frames. They have a front subframe and a rear subframe and everything bolts to the motor. So, you know, good luck keeping it up on wheels and trying to <laughs> you know, stick a new motor in it. You got to hold up the motor and you got to bolt the front and the back to it. So... Nonetheless, I, I got the no BMWs way better than I ever really wanted to. <laughs> but um, my investigation showed that all the sensors for the fuel injection were exactly the same part numbers from my early hex head motor to the later model cam head motor, every one of them. You know, and, uh, and the pictures looked the same. So I said, I'm going to do this. So I broke it all down, stuck the new motor in there, bolted on the subframe front and back. There's one little tiny little nub I had to grind with a, with a Dremel. I mean, we're talking about 10 seconds of grinding just to make it make a little nub go away. And so everything bolted up, all the electricals hooked it up. And uh, once I got to that point, I realized how small the throttle bodies on my original one were because the ports were huge on this new one. So I, I went back to eBay and I bought the airbox and the throttle bodies and an ECU for that model. I said, you know what? It's kind of stock. I said, why should I just get a stock BMW ECU and avoid all the tuning? I said, forget that. I don't want to tune this thing. I just want to ride it. So I bought it all, got it all put in there, went to go start it up, and it gives this big red warning thing, AWS, which basically means the immobilizer circuit, you know, the security circuit with the keys and the little RFID chips and stuff. It says, no go, buddy. 
this isn't going to work with your key and that ECU. Uh, so went to the dealer. They gave me the runaround. Well, we got to have proof that it's you and you got to send it to BMW. And after running me around for about two weeks, went back on eBay and found some guy in Texas that'll flash new chips for your key after he reads your ECU. <laughs> so uh, $200 later, in about in a three-day turnaround, I had ECU, I plugged in, stabbed the button, and it fired right up. <laughs> so, uh, so now I got this BMW 2005 with a 2010 or 11 motor in there that instead of feeling like an overweight, underpowered <laughs> slug, it's a pretty sporty bike now. I like riding it now. I took it on a 1,200-mile trip all around California, and I loved it. <laughs> but you know, I love it now as much as I hated it before. It was, it was so gutless. I was just like, ah, oh, this is, I, I don't know why, why I have this. But now that it's got a good balance of power to weight and stuff, it's a lot nicer. I, like, I enjoy it. It sounds like an awful lot of effort to essentially just, wouldn't you have been better just to simply throw away the old bike and just buy a later, what is it, hex head? Yeah, kind of. Well, I mean, let's let's put it in dollars and cents. I bought the bike for uh, $4,700, rode it for a few thousand miles before I blew it up. And so now I got this $4,700 bike that's worth virtually nothing with a motor that doesn't run. I said, so I spent about two grand getting a motor put back in there. So now I got a $7,000 investment. Um, BMWs run like $17,000 for later model new ones or so. So I just said, I said, I can make this thing work. And I, you know me, I like a challenge. Right. right. The, the moral of this story is anybody that's got these older BMWs, if you want to stick a new motor in there, you probably can. <laughs> I can guarantee you it'll work on a GS from, uh, from hex heads to cam heads. All you need to do is find a tame dealer who will flash the, the ignition key for you. No, no, it's a private party in Texas. You know, I, I got fed up with the dealer and, their, and all their nonsense. I just sent to this private party. The guy reads the ECU, pulls out the serial number. He, he already knew how to burn the chip that goes into your little key. So when you stick your key in the ignition, it's get, there's a little antenna there by the key that reads the key and, and talks to the ECU and says, are you the right serial number? Yes, I am. Okay, you can start. You know, that's all there is to it. That's awesome. I will not be I will not be denied. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, so that was right. that was that was a little victory, but like I tell you that that you know, you know me, I like sport bikes and I like anything that performs really well. And it was it kind of hurt my feelings to have that old man bike. I always said you have to be you have to be 60 before you get a BMW. Well, that was pretty much about the time that I got the BMW. <laughs> and uh and I thought, like, is this it? Is this what life is now? You know, I'm, I'm relegated to BMWs. I said, no, I can do better than that. So you can do better than that. So I, I improved it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your racing career started at 60. Started at, uh, yeah, 50, 59, technically. But uh, yeah, that was that was good. So um, I don't know. I'm thinking about making a comeback. <laughs> if my body can, <laughs> if my body can, can last, I'm, I'm suffering aches and pains of, of uh, aging yeah well but, yeah uh, we'll see what happens next spring yeah what, would you race in the same class again the singles i would that that's it i don't i don't need to to learn new tricks you know um, <laughs> okay i've got the equipment it's nice and fresh i just have to get myself uh tuned up and get out there and 
you know, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, there's competition. I don't put myself above anybody else who shows up out there. You know, it's, it's not settled until you cross the line, right? So, um, right. So I had a pretty good run of, of being, being successful and having my way at Willow Springs for a long time. But this last time that I went out, uh, I had to settle for second and I didn't like it so much. So <laughs> I, I, I think I need some revenge. So. Yeah, rem refresh my memory. What was the bike you were riding again? Uh, 2008 YZ450F motocrosser that was turned into supermoto type trim. 17-inch wheels, big brakes, uh, built motor, lean suspension, you know, Brembo's. Right. Um, you know, and, and a lot of other little development type stuff. But it was it was plenty fast and light. And yeah, I mean, I can I can ride anything, but. On that particular bike, it's it's kind of a killer in its class. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of power, super light. You know, everybody else shows up with something they bought, you know, at the dealer. Oh, I bought a KTM 390. Or, oh, I bought a, a Ninja 300. Or, oh, I bought an R3. And no doubt that guys can ride those really fast and very competitive against me. But for me to get on a bike and be competitive against other guys on, you know, supposed sport bikes in that class i'll take that all day long i'll be the, i'll be the odd man out and show them how to do it i mean riding the supermoto bike that thing turns really well in fact i remember you embarrassing me coming into riverside when i was on riding my jigs a thousand and you dived up the inside of me and i was like cheeky bastard i mean i'm like <laughs> and that's a that's a hundred mile an hour corner yeah that was the high point of my career arthur <laughs> it was 100 miles an hour that's right and i was giving it all the beans it would take and and you're sitting there like lollygagging along like no idea that anybody's stalking you from behind and i'm wringing this thing's neck until finally you just i don't know maybe you maybe you took a breath or you sighed or something just enough for me to just go boom and just <laughs> i jumped out of my skin i have to say i was not expecting that but yeah it was uh that was fun. Those were those were good times back then. But uh, but the bike's a joy to ride for me. I mean, it's just it's just so light. It does what you want. It's got you know the top speeds about 125. That's all I really need. I don't need to go 160 or 170. And no, on a bike that weighs 150 pounds more than that, you know, with guys that are 40 years younger than me, right. it's, it's not going to happen. Right. And also the upright riding position makes it easier to to turn into corners and it's more comfortable to race it and you know when you get to our age it is a lot easier to be sitting upright that is for sure I, well you don't wear glasses but anybody who wears glasses that rides a sport bike with clip-ons knows that you're always looking through the top of your glasses or trying not to i mean i've done all kinds of tricks and put spacers on the nose bridges so you look and you're looking through it right and stuff but right. you know being upright and, and comfortable just like you were on your uh 07 for years with handlebars you know, you know what it's like right uh, everything's got to have handlebars now for this. <laughs> that's awesome well uh so the 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 project that was really the the one that was really shocking was the punisher wasn't it and we did when was that we did a we did a story on that in the magazine that was back in the early days was 2012 maybe 2012 the punisher yeah well and that again that was an aprilia melee wasn't it it was. It was a. Uh, what was the genesis behind that piece of insanity? I mean, I hesitate to even ask, actually, but you know, there you go. <laughs> maybe in some ways it's a lifetime of inferiority. 
complex for something, but uh, if you if anybody goes and finds on the Ultimate Motorcycling website, just Google or use the search bar, just put in Rittner, right? You're going to see all the articles that I wrote and stuff, and I'll include the Punisher article. The first page introduction was kind of like a narrative story about how the Punisher, the genesis of the term Punisher, why it came to be, and how this bike came to be. So uh, the gist of it is, you know, my friend Steve Sheftel, me and Sheftel used to ride all the time in Malibu. This is in the it's in late 70s, we'd be at the rock store and riding around and we'd be on our crappy, I'd be on my crappy old Kawasaki and he'd be on his crappy old Honda and guys would be showing up with new later bikes. You know, here's the new Suzuki, here's the new Honda, here's the new this, here's the new that. And, and we just thought like, well, that's nice that you can buy that bike, but we've already sorted ours out and it works pretty good. So, you know, whenever you can sucker somebody into taking a ride on certain roads with you, you know, you just try to like ditch them, right? Ditch them, get to the end, right. stop your bike, jump off, rip off your helmet, pretend like you've been there for 20 minutes, right? right yeah. <laughs> and and uh, so one guy did that with one with us one day and uh, he got off the bike while we were sitting there playing cool. And he goes, he goes, yeah, boy, you guys really waxed me. And we said, yeah, you got punished. And so that was the gen genesis of the term Punisher. You know, I got a license plate rim for my bike. I called it the Punisher. Right. <laughs> so that started. But the but the whole thing with the Aprilia was uh, I already had an Aprilia twin, and there were some discussions about. Well, not this. Let me back up. This is right when all the nice new Ducati 1098s were coming out, and 1198s, all this stuff. And Ducatis are great bikes. You know, they're nice. They're well engineered. They're expensive. They're exclusive. They were out of reach for me and my buddy with our cheapskate bikes. So we said, what can we do to embarrass Ducatis? So we said, I don't know. Why don't we just put a supercharger on one? I said, then we won't be short on horsepower. And when we started talking about that, the subject came up and said, I wonder if an Aprilia has ever gone 200 miles an hour. I said, I don't know. I said, but that we can build one. So that's <laughs> that's how that started. Started in 2009, and uh, by October 2011, we had developed it to the point that at the Texas mile, it went 200.8 miles an hour in a standing mile. And wow. uh, there wasn't much left on it that was stock at that point. Everything had to be beefed up, blueprinted, upgraded you know, to get everything to work together. A, a stock bike, like we talked about, makes 125 horsepower. This one makes, on Ethel's dyno, John Ethel's dyno, it made 198 rear wheel horsepower on pump gas. Wow. And wow, that's it. that wasn't enough to get us over 200 miles an hour. So then I put a, a wet nitrous system on it. That was enough. That added about another 60 horsepower. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what got us over the top of our goal. But we couldn't do it on motor alone. So it was, um, so you, was it stock displacement? So you know, yeah, we cheated a little bit. We made it a 1060. Okay. So it's a 1060. Because those were well, well known, well known uh, forged pistons. So we just said we can go with this. But a stock bore is 998. Okay. So we went from 998 to 1060, about a 6% increase in displacement. Um, the valves were all stock sized valves, but, uh, stainless steel for strength because we had valves break at certain points. Um, 
we had we tried using stock pistons those just kind of melted we tried using low compression probably a capanord pistons those kind of melted we used uh <laughs> forged pistons and those worked okay until the stock valve started letting loose and then uh, we went to some Faria stainless steel one-piece valves and those were solid enough and so everything else was just kind of tuning after that okay cool you know how to tune the ecu and all that that was the biggest challenge of the project was the ecu right. to to work with the supercharger presumably yeah well that in itself conceptually is is not really that difficult to understand you know as you're as you're blowing pressurized air into a motor it's kind of proportional as to you blow twice as much air in you need twice as much fuel right so if an atmospheric motor like all of our naturally aspirated motors take a certain amount of fuel but if you boost up the intake pressure to 14.7 psi that's one atmosphere of pressure in addition so theoretically it ought to be double the amount of fuel so that's fine you just have to have a way for it to dynamically measure what the actual on the ground conditions are you know just like all all fuel injection systems they got air temperature they got water temperature they got map pressure, they got barrel pressure, they have a crank trigger, they have a cam trigger, they have throttle bodies and they have fuel injectors. Boom, that's it. Most every system has that. So once you understand that and you find something that's flexible enough for you to manipulate all those variables, you know, it's, it's not that bad. It, back then it was, in 2009 it was bad, but now they sell a lot of systems that are almost plug and play now. Right, okay. They come from the manufacturer that manufacturers these aftermarket ECUs with maps that are known to work with most bikes. It's like, oh, okay, well, that was easy. <laughs> I wish we had a thing. And what about the nitrous system? I mean, where did you get that from? A company called Nitrous Express. Um, you know, I just read up on it. You know, you watch the hot rod cars and how they do it. And nitrous is just a mix of a known amount of gasoline and a known amount of nitrous oxide gas. And uh, the fuel comes in at six PSI and the nitrous gas comes out of a tank at about uh, 900 to 1100 PSI. You know, and it goes through a little jet and the jets are controlled by solenoid valves. So when you push the button, the solenoid valve opens and allows the fuel and the nitrous to both be released from their reservoirs. And it goes into a little Y-shaped mixing nozzle and shoots straight into your throttle body right below the throttle plate. So when we punch the button, you had a wide open throttle, that little nozzle that's right under the throttle body plate is just dumping you know, fuel and this nitrous that's high pressure, that's evaporating, that's reducing the pressure, increasing the density of the air. It's got a multiplying effect, really, when you, when you put nitrous into a motor. It's, it's, uh, it gives you more horsepower than you expect because of the cooling effect on the air. So that's not right. Interesting. Interesting. Is that the that's the first time you've you've done anything with the nitrous? First time. Or, it was just or had you had experience? The, we got we got to the Texas mile in 2010. We got about 193 miles an hour, but the gap between 193 and 200 is a big gap. You know, you gotta have probably 30 or more horsepower sure. to bridge that gap. And we're going like, look, we're maxed out. You know, the supercharger was too small to begin with. Should have used the next size up, but we, we, for packaging reasons, we used one that was too small. 
we weren't going to get more than 200 horsepower out of it. And we're going to like, we're going to get 30 more horsepower. I said, well, we can just get it out of the bottle. <laughs> you know, not going to get it by boost pressure. So we, we uh, added our own oxygen with the, uh, with the nitrous oxide. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's quite a thrill when you punch the button. It's like you have a Corvette and you get your foot in the throttle on the Corvette. And it's a 350 motor. You're oh, going as fast as it can go. And you push this button, that 350 turns into a 454. That's what it feels like. It just throws you back in your seat and you're going like, you're like in third or fourth gear and it feels like you're in first. You're going like, great. <laughs> it was quite a thrill to do that. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll bet. So I seem to remember from the pictures, you did some aero treatments on it, didn't you? Well, it was a, it was an all hands on deck type of thing to get that last seven miles an hour. So to summarize it, it was like, can you make more horsepower? Can you reduce friction? And can you have better aerodynamics, right? And so we, you know, we did some engine treatments with anti-friction type stuff. We increased the horsepower with the nitrous, but all the guys at Bonneville that go to, well, anything over 150 miles an hour probably have some kind of aerodynamics, which is basically controlling the wake behind the bike because if you have all this turbulence coming off of you like you've you've ridden on your sport bike with a loose jacket filling up with air and everything else like that right and uh you know that's turbulence going on behind you but if the air just kind of like right went around you and hugged you and got to the end of the bike and just sort of just just you know just just stayed in a closed wake behind you if you're watching the olympics this week you see the platform divers and they go and they, they jump off the platform, they do the somersault and they go into the water and they don't make a splash, right? That's kind of like what the aerodynamics on the tail section of a sure. hyper high speed, uh, land speed type bike is. We're trying to keep that splash at a minimum. And uh, Kent Riches at AirTech is an expert at doing that type of stuff. Okay. And uh, so we used his fairings, but he didn't really have something we could use for the back. so. Kind of embarrassing, but you know, we looked at all these different designs and all these little fishtail type things. And, and my uh, my friend and engineer Dave Malberg, who you know Dave, I, I uh, brought some sheet metal and we bent it over the bike. And he goes, "Yeah, that looks about like what we want to do." He says, "I'll work on that. You come back in a couple of days." So I came back in a couple of days. He'd gone down to Home Depot and bought some fiberglass shower enclosure <laughs> material, and he made some aluminum brackets and he bent this thing around and made it into a nice tapered long tail section off the back of the bike. And whether it did anything or not, we thought it looked pretty cool. It, it did, it looked pretty good. I'm, I'm kind of shocked to hear that. That's, it actually looked really good. Yeah, well, we like to pretend like- That's legit, man. That is legit, that's awesome. He got a guy <laughs> from the Scripps Institute of Oceanography. And that's where Dave worked as an engineer. But this guy was all into uh, turbulent flow dynamics. And so we brought him over to the garage and had him take a look at it. And I made a couple of suggestions and we just said, yeah, okay, we're going with that. <laughs> and, and it was just enough. <laughs> so, nice. But, nice. And so you, you, you crested the 200 miles an hour at Bonneville and that was that? It was the Texas Mile, not Bonneville. Oh, the Texas Mile, oh, sorry. Okay, yeah. Bonneville would have been a fun place to try, but, um, you know, the bike at that point was, was really just an experimental type bike and 
wiring was just kind of patched here and there. And as you're always changing it, you're always trying something different. And, and the salt flats is very unforgiving with the corrosive effects of that. And I, and I thought, if I get salt on this wiring and it starts going haywire, we're never going to be able to fix it. So we <laughs> decided not to go to the salt and just stay on uh, asphalt and concrete. Okay. You know, it's, it's basically uh, airstrips, runways. Right. Okay. They closed down for the purposes of these racing events. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. So where is the Punisher now? Just sitting in your garage, looking. At it's actually in Dave's garage. Okay. Um. The the all the body work from the aerodynamics was all stripped off of it. I sold it to some other land speed guys. And I turned it back into a streetable bike. The only thing I really did was I took off the nitrous system because that was just too much. Um, but <laughs> right. I remapped the ECU. I made it perfectly uh, civilized on the street. Um, I put the standard length swing arm back on there instead of the long extended swing arm we used. Uh, the shortened forks are back up the regular length now, wing suspension front and back. It is an Aprilia Tuono with a supercharger on it still. That makes 198 rear wheel horsepower. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and it is, if you just, if you didn't look at it and, and saw what's underneath you, you just kind of go like, wow, this is like riding a you know, big Ducati twin or something like that. But except when you get to about 7,000 RPM, it just really starts to haul ass. <laughs> but uh, up to that point right, it seemed very similar but uh we had talked about uh the punisher revisited at some point it is it is uh street licensed insured and rideable as it is right now and uh it's available for a test <laughs> no, should ultimate motorcycling want to do something that is awesome so i guess i guess the only my last question is we got a lot of you know young listeners guys that can't afford, like, like you said, can't afford to go out and buy the latest whiz bang, high horsepower, whatever. So if you're a young guy and you've got some, some early bike and you want to try and extract something out of it, where would you start? What's the first thing you, where you would start to try and make the thing perform a little better? On, on any bike or do you want me to suggest a certain model? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I know guys with sort of like early Honda fours and, you know, uh, early GS Suzuki's and, you know, sort of late seventies, early eighties kind of bikes, you know, junky kind of bikes that they've got okay. and they maybe, and maybe even smaller displacement bikes, you know, and they just kind of want a bit more power out of it and have a bit more fun out of it. Where would you start if you had something like that? Yeah, there's pretty standard formulas. There's actually a Facebook group called, I think, butchered sports bikes. And, uh, you know, guys take, well, they take any kind of bikes. Any type of bike can be, I'll call it, I'll call it resto mod because that means something in particular, but it doesn't have to be pretty, right? There's so many bikes out there with the running gear that you could use, a set of forks, a set of brakes, a set of wheels. I mean, the biggest improvement from the 80s to now is just rims and tires. Rims, tires, brakes, suspension. That's really where the money's at. It doesn't, the motor is almost kind of irrelevant. If you can master your running gear, you know the, the the wheels and the brakes and suspension underneath you, you'll you'll enjoy it. You'll learn from it. Sure, it's something that doesn't require cracking the motor open to do a lot of stuff. You know all these you know dark science type of things. It's just kind of bolt on stuff. And there's forums where there's almost nothing that hasn't been done before already, right? So whatever bike you have, you can probably find somebody that's done something to it. 
grafted on some kind of front end or yeah. uh, swap the wheels out for something wider. Right. Wider wheels with modern radial tires are a dream. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. You know, the stuff that we used to ride on in the 70s and the 80s, Arthur, oh my God, this stuff was terrible. Right. Although we didn't realize it at the time. It was pretty good at the time. Yeah, we thought we were heroes. <laughs> but um, I mean, the, the difference between my 2007 Jixa, 7, uh, Jixa 1000 and my 2018 Jixa 1000 is just, is really the suspension. That was the big difference. I mean, yeah, the, the BPF forks. Yeah, yeah. The BPF forks are wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It really was dramatically noticeable. Um, but yeah, like you say, if you can, if you've got an earlier bike and you can sort out suspension and wheels and tires, um, you know, and and, uh, and in terms of brakes, I found it's actually you don't even really need radial calipers. What no. you need is a radial pump. If you've got a radial yep. master pump, it will upgrade eighty percent of the of the braking system. So yeah. there's definitely things. And a you set of pads. You need a decent set of pads. So yeah. I'll give you a story from just a couple of days ago. I've been my supermoto street bike has been laid up for a while. And I did some swapping around of suspension and brake components on there. And so I had to put a caliper back on, put in some pads. And I, I had like three or four sets of pads. I had a set of Brembo OEM HH pads. They're pretty new. I thought like everybody uses these things. Maybe these things are good. But me, I always put on race pads. I use uh, Ferrodo Z-Rax. That's what I always use on the track. I mean, they're they like break stop like hitting a brick wall i mean i almost love them i thought they got great feel and everything else so i said okay i'm a regular guy i'm gonna put on some regular pads see you know, like i put the brembo pads on i took about two laps around the block i said these are crap i went and got a set of used race pads out of the garage put them in there did the same two laps around i just said that's where i want to be and i said that's it so the brake right. pads made all the difference yeah you know but yeah i've got the other pieces too but uh yeah uh, a, a moderate set of pads. If you want more performance, you have to recognize what that word performance means. It's not, it's not economy. It's performance. You know, you need braking power. Yeah. And get the right stuff to do it. But the uh, good, good, good rubber underneath you, um, good brakes, and suspension that keeps your bike relatively planted. There's. You know, any size bike, it doesn't matter. It can be, I like middle, middle size bikes now. As much as I love my, my leader bikes and stuff, I'm really kind of in love in the middle in the middle range now. You know, the bikes that they got now, the FZ07s, FZ09s, a Suzuki SV650. Yeah, those are really good. Those are a lot of fun. I love my 450 Supermoto, but it's just not durable enough. Right. So it doesn't have the longevity and the legs that these other middleweights have. Yeah. Yeah, little bikes are fun. I mean, we had on test earlier this year, we had the new uh, KTM Duke 200. Yes, I saw Kelly rode that, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got to tell you, that bike was so much fun because you can come charging up to a corner and you think, well, I'm going way too fast, but this thing will probably make it round anyway. Let's, let's just chuck it in and see what happens. And it always made it round and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I mean, <it> was, <laughs> and I'm riding the local roads like I'm in the middle of a Moto3 race and I'm like you know this might be one of the most dangerous motorcycles I've ever ridden for me personally because it encourages me to do really stupid things well because but, you're coming from a higher level of performance and this is have kind of a downgrade so now you're challenged to, to push it to its limits 
Yeah. As opposed to being cognizant of the limits of a leader bike. Right, right. And I found myself thinking, I wonder if I can ride this entire road at exactly the same throttle opening without touching the throttle. <laughs> just no matter what corner comes up, I'm just going to just hold the throttle at the same. <laughs> well, that's an old concept. It came from yeah. Cycle Magazine, The Pace. Or was it Cycle World? I can't remember. Oh, I see Nick Einach's article, The Pace? Yeah, yeah, The Pace. I mean, right. that was from 30 years ago, but that was that was it. That's what we used to do back in the 70s and the 80s. We'd get on a road, we'd pick a speed, no matter what the corner, that's what you'd do. Right. Fast <laughs> corner, yeah, we were, we were crazy. But yeah, but little bikes are fun. I mean, they really are. So little and, and middleweight bikes. I mean, so yeah, you can just you can just uh, go for it. So uh, anyway, yeah, my little my little stable of bikes. I got I got a Prelia Tuono. I got the WR450 Supermoto. Dave Price gave me his 2000 R6 with a that had no motor because he blew it up. <laughs> I went and bought a motor for 400 bucks. I'm gonna put it in there, put that thing on the track. No, not to race, but just to fart around on a track day. Because my my YZ is too expensive to really run all the time, right? Right. You know, if I want to go out and just turn some laps, you know, you're you're just like burning dollar bills with the race bike. Because right. you know, it's only got a, a 15 to 20 hour rebuild cycle. You know, right. Being as high strung as it is. These other bikes go 30,000 miles. You know, <laughs> touched. So um yeah, you know, just and the, and the BMW runs now. So I got an Aprilia, I got a BMW, I got a Supermoto, and I got a race bike. That's kind of like what I got, you know. So I got a and a dirt bike. I bought a dirt bike here in the last six months or so, a, a WR450. I've been riding with Carrie Andrew. Oh, nice. Every Tuesday out of Gorman until a week or so ago when uh, I had a little bit of a spill and now my shoulder's knackered. <laughs> so I'm going to have to <laughs> let that rust a little bit. <laughs> it didn't bounce very good i'm sorry to say yeah 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 that's awesome man that's cool well listen man i really appreciate it i appreciate your time and uh and uh your particular brand of complete insanity love it yeah always awesome. a pleasure uh talking with you and i i enjoy sharing stuff anybody anybody loves it as much as we do that needs help i mean i you know we've been at starbucks you know when we go for a ride and somebody's bitching about their suspension or whatever say you see that thing, you kind of bounce on the front, bounce on the back, make a couple of clicks. And, you know, by the time we stop at the pistachio farm, they're like, oh, yeah, that's great. It's like, OK, yay. You know, everybody's happy. You know, everybody should everybody should love their bikes. You know, uh, get get out of it what they can, yeah. if they want to and what they can afford. You know, room for all of us. Let's grow the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. Great talking to you, man. Hey, okay, my friend. Same here. Take care.